Chapter One of Abraham Lincoln: A History, Volume Two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Denise Nordell. Abraham Lincoln: A History, Volume Two, by John Hay and John George Nicolay. Chapter One: Jefferson Davis on Rebellion. While the town of Lawrence was undergoing burning and pillage, Governor Shannon wrote to Colonel Sumner to say that as the marshal and sheriff had finished making their arrests, and he presumed had by that time dismissed the posse, he required a company of United States troops to be stationed at Lawrence to secure the safety of the citizens in both person and property, asking also a like company for Lecompton and Topeka the next day the citizens of lawrence had the opportunity to smother their indignation when they saw the embers of the free state hotel and the scattered fragments of their printing presses patrolled and protected by the federal dragoons whose presence they had vainly implored a few days before it was time the governor should move the guerrilla bands with their booty spread over the country and the free state men rose in a state of fierce retaliation assassinations house burnings expulsions and skirmishes broke out in all quarters the sudden shower of lawlessness fell on the just and the unjust and forced at last to deal out equal protection the governor june fourth issued his proclamation directing military organizations to disperse without regard to party names or distinctions and empowering colonel sumner to enforce the order that careful and discreet officer who had from the first counseled this policy at once proceeded to execute the command with his characteristic energy he disarmed and dispersed the free state guerrillas john brown's among the earliest liberated prisoners drove the missourians including delegate whitfield and general coffee of the skeleton militia back across their state line and stationed five companies along the border to prevent their return he was so fortunate as to accomplish all this without bloodshed i do not think he wrote june twenty third there is an armed body of either party now in the territory with the exception perhaps of a few freebooters the colonel found very soon that he was only too efficient and faithful my measures have necessarily borne hard against both parties wrote sumner to the war department for both have in many instances been more or less wrong the missourians were perfectly satisfied so long as the troops were employed exclusively against the free state party but when they found that i would be strictly impartial that lawless mobs could no longer come from missouri and that their interference with the affairs of kansas was brought to an end then they immediately raised a hue and cry that they were oppressed by the united states troops the complaint had its usual prompt effect at washington by orders dated june twenty seventh the colonel was superseded in his command and brigadier-general p f smith was sent to leavenworth known to be pro-slavery in his opinions great advantage was doubtless expected by the conspiracy from this change but general smith was an invalid and incapable of active service and so far as the official records show the army officers and troops in kansas continued to maintain a just impartiality the removal of governor shannon a few weeks after colonel sumner once more made secretary woodson always a willing instrument of the conspiracy acting governor it was under this individual's promptings and proclamation shannon being absent from the territory that colonel sumner before the arrival of the orders superseding him forcibly dispersed the free state legislature on the fourth of july as narrated for this act the secretary of war jefferson davis was not slow to send the colonel an implied censure perhaps to justify his removal from command but not a word of reproof went from president or secretary of state to the acting governor 
it has already been stated that for a considerable length of time after the organization of kansas territory the missouri river was its principal highway of approach from the states to anti-slavery men who were unwilling to conceal their sentiments this had from the very first been a route of difficulty and danger now that political strife culminated in civil war the missourians established a complete practical blockade of the river against the northern men and northern goods recently however the northern emigration to kansas had gradually found a new route through iowa and nebraska it was about this time that great consternation was created in pro-slavery circles by the report that lane had arrived at the iowa border with a northern army exaggerated into fabulous numbers intent upon fighting his way to kansas parties headed by lane and others and aggregating some hundreds had in effect so arrived were more or less provided with arms though they had no open military organization while spies and patrols were on the lookout for marching companies and regiments they concealing their arms quietly slipped down in detached parties to lawrence thus reinforced and inspirited the free state men took the aggressive and by several bold movements broke up a number of pro-slavery camps and gatherings greatly exaggerated reports of these affairs were promptly sent to the neighboring missouri counties and the border ruffians rose for a third invasion of kansas governor shannon not yet notified of his removal reported to general smith that lecompton was threatened with an attack general smith becoming alarmed called together all his available force for the protection of the territorial capital and reported the exigency to the war department all the hesitation which had hitherto characterized the instructions of jefferson davis the secretary of war in the use of troops otherwise than as an officer's posse instantly vanished the whole kansas militia was placed under the orders of general smith and requisitions were issued for two regiments from illinois and two from kentucky the position of the insurgents wrote the secretary as shown by your letter and its enclosures is that of open rebellion against the laws and constitutional authorities with such manifestation of a purpose to spread devastation over the land as no longer justifies further hesitation or indulgence to you as to every soldier whose habitual feeling is to protect the citizens of his own country and only to use his arms against a public enemy it cannot be otherwise than deeply painful to be brought into conflict with any portion of his fellow-countrymen but patriotism and humanity alike require that rebellion should be promptly crushed and the perpetration of the crimes which now disturb the peace and security of the good people of the territory of kansas should be effectually checked you will therefore energetically employ all the means within your reach to restore the supremacy of the law always endeavoring to carry out your present purpose to prevent the unnecessary effusion of blood the secretary had probably cast his eye upon the platte county battle call in the weston argus extra which formed one of the general's enclosures so sudden and unexpected has been the attack of the abolitionists that the law and order party was unprepared to effectually resist them to-day the bogus free state government we understand is to assemble at topeka the issue is distinctly made up either the free state or pro-slavery party is to have kansas citizens of platte county the war is upon you and at your very doors arouse yourselves to speedy vengeance and rub out the bloody traitors it was perhaps well that the pro-slavery zeal of general smith was less ardent than that of secretary jefferson davis or the american civil war might have begun in lawrence instead of charleston 
upon fuller information and more mature reflection the general found that he had no need of either the four regiments from illinois and kentucky or border ruffian mobs led by skeleton militia generals neither of which he had asked for both the militia generals and the missourians were too eager even to wait for an official call general richardson ordered out his whole division on the strength of the argus extra and neighborhood reports and the entire border was already in motion when acting governor woodson issued his proclamation declaring the territory to be in a state of open insurrection and rebellion general smith found it necessary to direct his first orders against the border ruffian invaders themselves it has been rumored for several days he wrote to his second-in-command that large numbers of persons from the state of missouri have entered kansas at various points armed with the intention of attacking the opposite party and driving them from the territory the latter being also represented to be in considerable force if it should come to your knowledge that either side is moving upon the other with the view to attack it will become your duty to observe their movements and prevent such hostile collisions lieutenant colonel p st george cook upon whom this active field work devolved because of the general's ill health concentrated his little command between lawrence and lecompton where he could to some extent exert a salutary check upon the main bodies of both parties and where he soon had occasion to send a remonstrance to the acting governor that his militia was ransacking and burning houses to the acting governor's mind such a remonstrance was not a proper way to suppress rebellion he therefore sent colonel cook a requisition to invest the town of topeka disarm the insurrectionists hold them as prisoners level their fortifications and intercept aggressive invaders on lane's trail all of which demands the officer prudently and politely declined replying that he was there to assist in serving judicial process and not to make war on the town of topeka if as had been alleged general smith was at first inclined to regard the pro-slavery side with favor its arrogance and excesses soon removed his prejudices and he wrote an unsparing report of the situation to the war department in explanation of the position of affairs lately and now i may remark that there are more than two opposing parties in the territory the citizens of the territory who formed the majority in the organization of the territorial government and in the elections for its legislature and inferior officers form one party the persons who organized a state government and attempted to put it in operation against the authority of that established by congress form another a party at the head of which is a former senator from missouri and which is composed in a great part of citizens from that state who have come into this territory armed under the excitement produced by reports exaggerated in all cases and in many absolutely false form the third there is a fourth composed of idle men congregated from various parts who assume to arrest punish exile and even kill all those whom they assume to be bad citizens that is those who will not join them or contribute to their maintenance every one of these has in his own peculiar way except some few of the first party thrown aside all regard to law and even honesty and the territory under their sway is ravaged from one end to the other until the day before yesterday i was deficient in force to operate against all these at once and the acting governor of the territory did not seem to me to take a right view of affairs if mr atchison and his party had had the direction of affairs they could not have ordered them more to suit his purpose all such truth and exposure of the conspiracy however was unpalatable at washington and secretary jefferson davis while approving the conduct of colonel cook and expressing confidence in general smith nevertheless curtly endorsed upon his report 
the only distinction of parties which in a military point of view it is necessary to note is that which distinguishes those who respect and maintain the laws and organized government from those who combine for revolutionary resistance to the constitutional authorities and laws of the land the armed combinations of the latter class come within the denunciation of the president's proclamation and are proper subjects upon which to employ the military force such was the state of affairs when the third governor of kansas newly appointed by president pierce arrived in the territory the kansas pro-slavery cabal had upon the dismissal of shannon fondly hoped that one of their own clique either secretary woodson or surveyor-general john calhoun would be made executive and had set on foot active efforts in that direction in principle and purpose they enjoyed the abundant sympathy of the pierce administration but as the presidential election of eighteen fifty six was at hand the success of the democratic party could not at the moment be endangered by so open and defiant an act of partisanship it was still essential to placate the wounded anti-slavery sensibilities of the northern states and to this end john w geary of pennsylvania was nominated by the president and unanimously confirmed by the senate he was a man of character and decision had gone to the mexican war as a volunteer captain and had been made a colonel and entrusted with an important command for merit afterwards he had served as postmaster as alcalde and as mayor of the city of san francisco in the turbulent gold excitements of eighteen forty eight to forty nine and was made a funding commissioner by the california legislature both by nature and experience therefore he seemed well fitted to subdue the civil commotions of kansas but the pro-slavery leaders of the territory were very far from relishing or desiring qualifications of this character in one of their appeals calling upon missourians for assistance in men provisions and munitions that we may drive out the army of the north they had given the president and the public a piece of their mind about this appointment we have asked the appointment of a successor said they who was acquainted with our condition with the capacity to appreciate and the boldness and integrity requisite faithfully to discharge his duty regardless of the possible effect it might have upon the election of some petty politician in a distant state in his stead we have one appointed who is ignorant of our condition a stranger to our people who we have too much cause to fear will if no worse prove no more efficient to protect us than his predecessors we cannot await the convenience in coming of our newly appointed governor we cannot hazard a second addition of imbecility or corruption animated by such a spirit they now bent all their energies upon concentrating a sufficient force in kansas to crush the free state men before the new governor could interfere acting governor woodson had by proclamation declared the territory in a state of open insurrection and rebellion and the officers of the skeleton militia were hurriedly enrolling the missourians giving them arms and planting them in convenient camps for a final and decisive campaign it was on september ninth eighteen fifty six that governor geary and his party landed at leavenworth even on his approach he had already been compelled to note and verify the evidences of civil war he had met governor shannon fleeing from the territory who drew for him a direful picture of the official inheritance to which he had come while this interview took place during the landing of the boat at glasgow a company of sixty missouri border ruffians was embarking with wagons arms and cannon and with the open declaration that they were bound for kansas to hunt and kill abolitionists similar belligerent preparations were in progress at all the river towns they touched at kansas city the vigilance committee of the blockade boarded and searched the boat for concealed abolitionists 
finally arrived at leavenworth the governor saw a repetition of the same scenes parades and military control in the streets fugitives within the enclosure of the fort and minor evidences of lawlessness and terror governor geary went at once to the fort where he spent the day in consultation with general smith that same evening he wrote to w l marcy secretary of state a report of the day's impressions which was anything but reassuring leavenworth in the hands of armed men committing outrages under the shadow of authority theft and murder in the streets and on the highways farms plundered and deserted agitation excitement and utter insecurity everywhere and the number of troops insufficient to compel peace and order all this was not the worst however deep in the background stood the sinister apparition of the atchison cabal i find wrote he that i have not simply to contend against bands of armed ruffians and brigands whose sole aim and end is assassination and robbery infatuated adherents and advocates of conflicting political sentiments and local institutions and evil-disposed persons actuated by a desire to obtain elevated positions but worst of all against the influence of men who have been placed in authority and have employed all the destructive agents around them to promote their own personal interests at the sacrifice of every just honorable and lawful consideration such is the condition of kansas faintly pictured in making the foregoing statements i have endeavored to give the truth and nothing but the truth i deem it important that you should be apprised of the actual state of the case and whatever may be the effect of such revelations they will be given from time to time without extenuation discouraging as he found his new task of administration governor geary grappled with it in a spirit of justice and decision the day following his interview with general smith found him at lecompton the capital of the territory where the other territorial officials woodson calhoun donaldson sheriff jones lecompte cato and others constituted the ever-vigilant working force of the atchison cabal precisely as had been so truthfully represented to him by general smith and as he had so graphically described in his letter to marcy of the day before paying little heed to their profusely offered advice he adhered to his determination to judge for himself and at once issued an inaugural address declaring that in his official action he would do justice at all hazards that he desired to know no party and no section and imploring the people to bury their past strifes and devote themselves to peace industry and the material development of the territory as an evidence of his earnestness he simultaneously issued two proclamations one disbanding the volunteer or missouri militia lately called into service by acting governor woodson and the other commanding the immediate enrollment of the true citizen militia of kansas territory this step being taken by the advice of general smith he soon found that he could not govern kansas with paper proclamations alone his sudden arrival at this particular juncture was evidently an unexpected contretemps while he was preaching and printing his sage admonitions about peace and prosperity at lecompton and laboring to change the implements of civil war into plowshares and pruning hooks the missouri raid against lawrence officially called into the field by woodson's proclamation was about to deal out destruction to that town a thousand border ruffians at least two eyewitnesses say twenty five hundred led by their recognized missouri chiefs were at that moment camped within striking distance of the hated new boston their published address which declared that these traitors assassins and robbers must now be punished must now be taught a lesson they will remember that lane's army and its allies must be expelled from the territory left no doubt of their errand this news reached governor geary about midnight of his second day in lecompton 
one of the brigadiers of the skeleton militia was apparently in command and not yet having caught the cue of the governor's intentions reported the force for orders in the field ready for duty and impatient to act at about the same hour the governor received a message from the agent he had sent to lawrence to distribute copies of his inaugural that the people of that town were arming and preparing to receive and repel this contemplated attack of the missourians he was dumbfounded at the information his promises and policy upon which the ink was not yet dry were already in jeopardy instead of bringing peace his advent was about to open war in this contingency the governor took his measures with true military promptness he immediately dispatched to the missouri camp secretary woodson with copies of his inaugural and the adjutant-general of the territory with orders to disband and muster out of service the missouri volunteers while he himself at the head of three hundred dragoons and a light battery moved rapidly to lawrence a distance of twelve miles entering that town at sunrise he found a few hundred men hastily organized for defense in the improvised entrenchments and barricades about the place ready enough to sell their lives but vastly more willing to entrust their protection to the governor's authority and the federal troops they listened to his speech and readily promised to obey his requirements since the missourians had officially reported themselves to him as subject to his orders the governor supposed that his injunctions conveyed to them in writing and print and borne by the secretary and the adjutant-general of the territory would suffice to send them back at once to their own borders and he returned to lecompton to take up his thorny duties of administration though forewarned by ex-governor shannon and by general smith governor geary did not yet realize the temper and purpose of either the cabal conspirators or the border ruffian rank and file he had just dispatched a military force in another direction to intercept and disarm a raid about to be made by a detachment of lane's men when news came to him that the missourians were still moving upon lawrence in increased force that his officers had not yet delivered his orders and that skirmishing had begun between the outposts menaced thus with dishonor on one side and contempt on the other he gathered all his available federal troops and hurrying forward posted them between lawrence and the invaders then he went to the missouri camp where the true condition of affairs began to dawn upon him all the border ruffian chiefs were there headed by atchison in person who was evidently the controlling spirit though a member of the legislature of the state of missouri named reed exercised nominal command he found his orders unheeded and on every hand mutterings of impatience and threats of defiance these invading aliens had not the least disposition to receive commands as kansas militia they invoked that name only as a cloak to shield them from the legal penalties due their real character as organized banditti the governor called the chiefs together and made them an earnest harangue he explained to them his conciliatory policy read his instructions from washington affirmed his determination to keep peace and appealed personally to atchison to aid him in enforcing law and preserving order that wily chief seeing that refusal would put him in the attitude of a lawbreaker feigned a ready compliance and he and reed his factotum commander made eloquent speeches calculated to produce submission to the legal demands made upon them some of the lesser captains however were mutinous and treated the governor to choice bits of border ruffian rhetoric law and violence vibrated in uncertain balance when colonel cook commanding the federal troops took the floor and cut the knot of discussion in a summary way i felt called upon to say some words myself he writes naively appealing to these militia officers as an old resident of kansas and friend to the missourians to submit to the patriotic demand that they should retire assuring them of my perfect confidence in the inflexible justice of the governor and that it would become my painful duty to sustain him at the cannon's mouth this argument was decisive 
the border chiefs felt willing enough to lead their awkward squads against the slight barricades of lawrence but quailed at the unlooked-for prospect of encountering the carbines and sabres of half a regiment of regular dragoons and the grape-shot of a well-drilled light battery they accepted the inevitable and swallowing their rage but still nursing their revenge they consented perforce to retire and be honorably mustered out but for this narrow contingency lawrence would have been sacked a second time by the direct agency of the territorial cabal nothing could more forcibly demonstrate the unequal character of the contest between the slave state and the free state men in kansas even in these maneuvers and conflicts of civil war than the companion exploit to this third lawrence raid the day before governor geary seconded by the cannon argument of colonel cook was convincing the reluctant missourians that it was better to accept as a reward for their unfinished expedition the pay rations and honorable discharge of a muster out rather than the fine imprisonment or halter to which the full execution of their design would render them liable another detachment of federal dragoons was enforcing the bogus laws upon a company of free state men who had just had a skirmish with a detachment of this same invading army of border ruffians at a place called hickory point the encounter itself had all the usual characteristics of the dozens of similar affairs which occurred during this prolonged period of border warfare a neighborhood feud neighborhood violence the appearance of organized bands for retaliation the taking of forage animals and property the fortifying of two or three log houses by a pro-slavery company then on its way to join in the lawrence attack and finally the appearance of a more numerous free state party to dislodge them the besieging column some three hundred fifty in number had brought up a brass four-pounder lately captured from the pro-slavery men and with this and their rifles kept up a long-range fire for about six hours when the garrison of border ruffians capitulated on condition of being allowed honorably to evacuate their stronghold and retire the casualties were one man killed and several wounded the rejoicing of the free state men over this not too brilliant victory was short-lived returning home in separate squads they were successively intercepted by the federal dragoons acting as a posse to the deputy united states marshal who arrested them on civil writs obtained in haste by an active member of the territorial cabal and to the number of eighty-nine were taken prisoners to lecompton so far the affair had been of such frequent occurrence as to have become commonplace a frontier free fight as they themselves described and regarded it but now it took on a remarkable aspect sterling g cato one of the pro-slavery territorial judges had been found by governor geary in the missouri camp drilling and doing duty as a soldier ready and doubtless more than willing to take part in the projected sack of lawrence this federal judge as open a lawbreaker as the hickory point prisoners the two affairs really forming part of one and the same enterprise now seated himself on his judicial bench and committed the whole party for trial on charge of murder in the first degree and at the october term of his court proceeded to try and condemn to penalties prescribed by the bogus laws some eighteen or twenty of these prisoners for offences in which in equity and good morals he was personally particeps criminis some of the convicts being held in confinement until the following march when they were pardoned by the governor inter arma sealant legis says the publicists but in this particular instance the license of guerrilla war the fraudulent statutes of the territory and the laws of congress were combined and perverted with satanic ingenuity in furtherance of the conspiracy the vigorous proceedings of governor geary the forced retirement of the missourians on the one hand and the arrest and conviction of the free state partisans on the other had the effect to bring the guerrilla war to an abrupt termination 
the retribution had fallen very unequally upon the two parties to the conflict but this was due to the legal traps and pitfalls prepared with such artful design by the atchison conspiracy and not to the personal indifference or ill-will of the governor he strove sincerely to restore impartial administration he completed the dismantlement of the territorial militia re-enlisting into the federal service one pro-slavery and one free state company for police duty by the end of september he was enabled to write to washington that peace now reigns in kansas encouraged by the success in allaying guerrilla strife he next endeavored to break up the existing political persecution and intrigues it was not long however before governor geary became conscious to his great surprise and mortification that he had been nominated and sent to kansas as a partisan maneuver and not to institute administrative reforms that his instructions written during the presidential campaign to tranquilize kansas by his energy impartiality and discretion really meant that after mr buchanan was elected he should satisfy the atchison cabal in less than six months after he went to the territory clothed with the executive authority speaking the president's voice and representing the unlimited military power of the republic he the third democratic governor of kansas was like his predecessors in secret flight from the province he had so trustfully gone to rule execrated by his party associates and abandoned by the administration which had appointed him humiliating as was this local conspiracy to plant servitude in kansas a more aggressive political movement to nationalize slavery in all the union was about to eclipse it end of chapter one recording by denise nordell modesto california